Welcome to Vibrant Visionaries, the gathering place for immensely creative folks to talk about creative process, struggles and successes, and just generally what it's like to live as a wonderfully weird, diverse, creative person. My name is Heidi Bennett. I am your host, and some of these episodes will be conversations with fellow creatives, and then sometimes I pop on to share an AMA or tips on banishing burnout and boosting your creativity. You can find out more about me at HeidiBennett.com and at VibrantVisionaries.com. All right, on with the show. Hey everybody, I have a friend and we're actually, we are friends. <laughs> a lot of times people listen to like, is does Heidi think every single one of these dang people on her podcast is her new best friend? But yeah, <laughs> we have actually spoken before a little bit, but we're still in that getting to know you stage. So I want to welcome on Duncan Shields. Welcome, Duncan. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Nice to talk with somebody else on the West Coast where we have yeah. less confusion about what time we're talking. And we have some uh, cultural touchstones. I could already tell I was listening to the intro to one of your podcasts and used the word, I think you used the word stoked. And I was like, okay, we're going to get along. <laughs> but for the uninitiated, can you just share a little bit about yourself and what you do creatively? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Duncan Shields. I'm an author. I'm a poet. I like to draw. I'm an animator by trade. I've been doing computer animation for 20 years. Career-wise, I worked on Grand Theft Auto, Max Payne 3, Red Dead Redemption, a bunch of the FIFA games, some Mortal Kombat games, just to, to name a few of, of some of the sort of greatest hits that I've been involved in professionally for my career. And then on the side, which is sort of where you know, a lot of people have most of their artistic pursuits. I ran the um, Vancouver Poetry Slam for uh, two years and then for another block of two years. But I was started up the YouTube channel. So I was there every Monday for six years filming everything and being part of the team that was the glue that held that scene together for a long time. So and I wrote, you know, hundreds of poems and performed a bunch of poems. And so I was a, you know, a poet for a long time. I wrote a book called Small Windows, which is a bunch of short science fiction stories that came out two years ago. And that was always been a been a dream of mine, but I've been a, a writer for a long time. And, and now I just, uh, I draw a lot, but this is all the sort of stuff I do for fun. And it's, um, I just have a very creative leaning mind. You know, when I, when you, you ask me for solutions to stuff, it's not going to be a practical solution. I'll come up with some Rube Goldberg solution that might work, but then somebody with who's more practically minded would be like, oh, or you could just do this. Go, oh yeah. Sorry. That would work way, way better. So <laughs> I, it's not, it's not, it can be a detriment sometimes. My, my entire life's always been creative. I've always been a drawer and a writer and that's where I'm coming from. Awesome. Yeah. And so anybody that's new to the podcast, this is just the kind of place I like to hang out with other creatives that do a lot of different creative things and also have that mind where it's similar to mine. It's like sometimes I feel, I don't know, certain times of the day or certain parts of the month or maybe even seasons. I'm not sure. Like I do feel a little bit more analytical and regimented, but there are a lot of times where I'm like, where is my brain taking me? I don't even know, but let's, let's go on this wild ride. And when you do all these different things, 
do you recognize like, oh, there's a certain satisfaction I get from this that I don't get from that or anything around like what's different about the different creative avenues? Well, I believe that, you know, it should be fun. It should be a release. It should be something you enjoy doing. It should be cathartic. One of the problems I find with being creative is if you have too firm of a picture in your mind of what you want the finished product to be, you're doomed from the outset, unless you have the skills to fully realize it, unless you know exactly what you can accomplish. Like if you're an amazing artist and you come up with this great idea for a drawing or a painting, and you know that because of your 40 years of experience, you have the skills to realize it, maybe even up to 70% of what you're visualizing, then great. Yeah, you know, fantastic. That's great news. And I'm happy for you. But for a lot of times, if you have a real finished product in mind, it's kind of a curse because you're like, well, shoot. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to make this happen the way that I'm seeing it in my head. I might be able to get close or I might start on that path and go down a different path. And you have to be kind of open to a left turn that might take you to a different destination. But the best kinds of creative moments I find are when you're just like, let's see what happens. I'm going to start writing and we'll see where this goes. Yeah, maybe it'll be a dead end or maybe it'll be something great, but who knows? And that's, uh, that's, I think, when you're drawing in that way or writing in that way or painting in that way, I think that's, that's, uh, that's the most fun. It reminds me of a couple different things. One of them is this quote, and it's one of those like quoted anonymous, you know, so I don't know yeah, who sure. was the original, but which is hold the vision, trust the process. The way I interpret that is like you can hold on to a vision, but the process is what is going to ultimately turn it into, and it could be different than the vision. So I would even say like hold that vision lightly. That's sort of a Buddhist or mindfulness idea too, is to like hold on to it lightly so it's there, mm -hmm. but you're not letting it steer you into frustration or if your vision moves in a different direction, you can be surprised and delighted by it rather than like, but this isn't the exact vision I had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let it be a, a guardian angel and not a curse or whatever. Yeah. I hear what you're saying for sure. Whatever your vision was at first only becomes better if you're able to be open yeah. to other possibilities and collaborating and improvisation yeah. and all that. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people on the top of their game will say, like, surround yourself with other people that are, are also on top of the game or also creative because you, you know, I guess being a director of a film or something team based, you have to say, like, okay, you go do that because this is your you know, expertise, handing, handing those reins and, and being collaborative. That's something that's, uh, I think, hard to do for some people. It can be a real pain point when you're gripping onto this idea and thinking this is the ultimate outcome is going to be this. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other thing is it can make it less creative because you're so rigid in your idea of what something is going to be. You know, it's like two definitions of the word anchor, right? Like anchor can be something that steadies you, but it can also be something that keeps you from going anywhere and can, can you know, drag you to a certain position. How is that with, with writing your book? What kind of collaborating you did you do with like editors or whoever else is part of that process? I had a, an interesting experience with the cover because I had a real strong vision of what I wanted the cover to be. And I grew up on Stephen King. So his books had a certain aesthetic to the cover 
And I kind of wanted that font and the book's called small windows. So I wanted to have like, you know, nine, uh, you know, nine different windows, each looking into a different universe kind of thing. Cause it's a bunch of short stories. And I mocked some stuff up and it wasn't that great, but it was whatever I could throw together in Photoshop to give to the artist. And they came back with something not even close to what I had asked for. And I had this weird moment of anger because I was like, Hey, that's not even close to what I, like I sent you a prototype. I, I, I sent you a mock-up and what you've given me is not even remotely close to what I asked for, but what you gave me is fantastic. What you gave me is so much better than my idea. And what you gave me is really cool but you flagrantly ignored my guidelines. And I don't know what to feel right now. <laughs> I'm conflicted. I feel like I, I, on the one hand, amazing work. And on the other hand, why did you even ask me for a, a guideline? You know, so it was a very strange feeling. It was a really strange experience because I, I started off kind of, you know, not livid, but I had to sort of come around to like, well, like what you did was way better than what I suggested. That's perhaps why you're the graphic artist and I'm not. It was, um, that was a cool experience. You know, for the most part, for all the writing and stuff, yeah, I had to pick out all the stories and put them in an order. And, you know, there's hundreds of stories in the book. So that was like, uh, okay, how is this going to flow? You know, something you've been pecking at for years, now you have to take on as a whole. And that refinement uh, can grind people down, I can imagine. I think there's in this world, there's people that thrive on editing. And uh, there's people that thrive on creating. And if you're a person that can do both, then you've already won. There's nothing like a good editor. And uh, I think if you can shape somebody else's creativity, that's that's a really um, that's a beautiful gift too. And I think there's a lot of creatives out there that are like, yeah, please get out your scissors a hundred percent, you know. And it's hard. And but you need somebody to say, yeah, that's actually irrelevant. So that's kill your darlings, right? Yeah, kill your darlings. Yeah. Another pair of eyes is so valuable. You know, and I, I tend to create in a vacuum. That's the way I've always, I, I sort of ended up, you know, because I, I guess I've always been kind of isolated and I'm, I've always been a, an escapist when it comes to creating and consuming media. I want to be swept away. That's the, the point of it as far as I'm concerned. But uh, yeah, having other people involved in the process, you know, at the back of every book, there's a special thanks too. And it's everybody's writing circle. You got to have a good collection of objective eyes on your work. And sometimes it helps to have people that you have no connection to because they can just say, oh, this doesn't work. And they don't know you. They don't know you. So they don't know what you were trying to say, which is a very valuable uh, style of input to have. Right. Because if people that know you're like, oh, I know what you were trying to get at here, then uh, they've got that sort of, you know, coloration in their in their appraisals. Yeah. And I think what I was hearing when you were talking about the process of working with this book cover artist was also that when somebody says, you want this? Well, how about this? And it's just like looks at first glance, like absolutely nothing like what you mocked up is that when we're confronted sometimes, our first reaction, it could be, I'm not saying it for you, I'm just saying as an example, it could be like an ego thing, like, oh, well, but my idea was <laughs> freaking awesome. Why did you, yeah. why did you totally ignore it? Or, or oh, they yeah. don't understand me at all. Or what am I paying that. you for? Or just this yeah. like emotional response to like, or my idea was stupid. That's what they thought. Or, 
you know, like yeah. there's all these things. And then it, when you can back away from that and let yourself process from the emotional response or even the vulnerability of like going, well, if I, you know, hire somebody to do the cover art, then that means this book is one step closer to coming out. What does that bring up? You know, there's all yeah. sorts of other things that could be happening within you, but it is really sort of like, yeah, saying, I am here. I am an author. This is my book. This is the cover. Here is someone else who sees me. Um, <laughs> lots of things can be brought up for different people when they're starting to share that creative work. Yeah, that was definitely part of it for sure for me. Definitely. What is it about you that enjoys being part of this poetry scene? And this is probably the part I know least about. How do I start? Where do I start? I always excelled at English classes in school and reading, you know, growing up, my childhood was okay. Other people definitely had it worse. It wasn't that great. My parents went through like a really rough divorce when I was like sort of between the ages of uh, nine and 13, but it was never good. It was always rocky. They reconciled close to, uh, to his death. And when I read a book, I disappeared into the book because I just wanted to be not here. You know, I know when I watched a movie, I would be like really into the movie or it became sort of, and it still is, that was sort of the, the pass or fail test for a book or a movie. It was like, how much does the world around me disappear when I'm, when I'm watching this? And I found that creating and writing and drawing would also, you know, take me out of being here. And that would put me into the, the state of flow that I hear everybody talking about recently is this, this flow state of like, yeah, what is time? It's gone right now, you know, because I'm, I, I don't know. It's like a fugue state. It's like a trance. You're, you're, you're creating and you're doing something. And then you come out of it. And you're like, whoa, my gosh, where was I? Geez, it's five o'clock. Oh, man. I think that's a, a great place to be, you know, and I, and I, I enjoy that. But I think it started out as a, as a, you know, a mental survival tactic. I always wanted to be creative in some way. Like my dad was a bus driver, but he did stained glass for churches on the side because he was a glazer by trade in Glasgow. He would do all these windows because he came from a really abusive family and he never hit me or my brother. And so that was like, he broke the chain in that regard, but he was a, uh, you know, a laborer who did creative stuff on the side. And so my idea to take things a step further was to be creative for a living. And so I got into cooking first and cooking and acting first. I was in a comedy troupe for a while. Then I got, did some commercial film acting. And then I got into cooking in a restaurant and I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a chef. But then I went to a computer animation school orientation session of uh, just like, hey, this is what our school is. And somebody showed me a computer program called 3DS Max. And that was like an epiphany moment where I was like, I could do this for a living. So I've ended up doing that for a living. And then after my father died, I was trying to process everything that was going through me because I was a really, you know, like I think for most people, the death of a parent is a, that's a real changing point. Because I remember when my grandmother died, my mom was like 65 or something like that. And she was like, well, who am I now that my mother's gone? And I was like, but you're 65. Like, don't you how could this be affecting you this deeply? You know, because you're so, you've been you for such a long time. How could this, but it is, that's just what it is. That, that moment is, is, is huge in a person's life. In a way you're always preparing for it. Uh, you know, like who you are when it happens is 
is going to affect how you, how you deal with it. What I ended up doing was I was in a very high pressure job situation and, you know, working six, seven days a week, you know, 80 hour work weeks. And then the game that I was working on shipped about four months after he passed away. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start writing every day. Um, and I did, I just would sit down for half an hour to 45 minutes to write every day. And then once the game shipped, uh, we were sort of allowed to go home at five o'clock, like a regular human. And I was like, uh, I was like, on Mondays, I'll go to the poetry slam. Tuesdays, I'll take piano lessons. Thursdays, I've got you know karaoke or something like that. I was, I was trying to like fill up my leisure time with all this stuff. And, and people were pointing out to me, like, you're relaxing aggressively and you're not just chilling you're you know you get to go home to find them and relax and i was like well, well what's this this the relaxing thing you're talking about what do you what do you mean <laughs> you know like i i've been going so hard for so long i didn't really know any other way to be you know somebody else was like yeah if you throw in learning a language then you'll never have to think at all you know <laughs> right. i'm like ah i i sort of see what you're saying i can you know but when you you're inside of it you can't see outside of it but so by writing every day i didn't realize at the time that i was uh processing some of my grief and trying to process some of the last you know 40 bonkers years of like living all over the world and and uh and, and going through all these jobs i was in a bunch of different offices all over the places working on different projects I had like a marriage and a divorce and, and all this stuff. And so processing all of that is too big to process at once. And uh, I didn't really know how to seek out therapy or go to anything like that. So I was just writing every day. And some of the only, the only rule I had just to get to the point of, you know, actually the rules I had for creating was the only rules I had was that it couldn't be a diary entry, even if it was just word salad. You know, even if I was just writing down nonsensical lists of nouns and adjectives that didn't make any sense, that was acceptable, right? And I just had to start and write until I thought I was done. Sometimes that was three hours. Sometimes that was 45 minutes. And sometimes it was a science fiction story. Sometimes it was a, a fantasy story. Sometimes it was just like a, a, you know, a fake autobiography memoir you know, from like, you know, the thirties or something. And then, you know, sometimes it was poetry. And so people were reading my stuff. This was in the live journal days, the Halcyon live journal days. <laughs> and people were like, well, you should go to the poetry slam and try some of your stuff on stage. And I did. And it was a hit. And I was really enthusiastic about it because those were the only two switches that I had. I was enthusiastic. I was either not into it or I was incredibly enthusiastic about it. And so they were like, hey, do you want to help? you know, run the scene. And I, I got some ideas. I got some ideas. And uh, so I ended up becoming um, a pretty integral part of the scene for quite a while. I'd done some sketch comedy, like I said, and stuff. So being on stage and speaking in front of people was something I could do. And I know that, you know, for a lot of people, public speaking, if you give them a list of their greatest fears, number two is death. And number one is public speaking. <laughs> you know, like public speaking is a big, big, big deal. And there's like organizations like Toastmasters and, and stuff like that, that can, you know, help people be comfortable with speaking in front of a room full of people, which isn't a great skill. And it's such a hit to your confidence if you can do that. 
And so, uh, yeah, you know, whatever I'm tall, I got a nice voice and, um, I have some training in the stage. So it was uh, a natural leap to me to start reading out my poetry. And then there's a website called 365 tomorrows, which is still going. And they do uh, short flash fiction, 600 fiction under 600 words, science fiction every day. They were like, you should submit your stuff to there. And they were like impressed. And then I became a featured writer and then I became a staff writer. I had to do three stories a month for them. And, you know, three stories a month for me, writing every day was easy. You know, I was like three stories a month. Heck, okay. You know, I can give you 20, but if you want three, sure. I'll just (laughs) pick the best and give you the best. So I was this machine that was generating a lot of content and a couple of people, you know, steered me in directions. I didn't have any ideas for where it would go or what it would become. All I knew is that I was just, you know, generating all this content and that it felt good. But it was like, you know, radioactive half-life. I often say to people that are going through breakups that getting over somebody is like radioactive half-life. Like it's always half of what it was, but it's never gone. You know, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until the radiation is at a level that won't kill you but it's still dangerous. And then it's like less dangerous and then like less dangerous. But it, it, you know, it goes from like, you know, one to a half to a quarter to an eighth to a 16th to a 32nd, but it never, it's never zero. It, it just gets smaller and smaller until, until it's at a level where it doesn't tear you apart inside. And that's, I think that's what I like in getting over a breakup to is this radioactive half-life. But I think that was also the approach to trying to tackle not just the grief of my father, but everything else that had happened in my life. There was this real convergence of massive things happening in my life that I had pretty honestly never dealt with, you know, on any sort of meaningful level. And uh, so this was a way to sort of tackle it one molecule at a time rather than um, trying to deal with it as a whole, which was impossible. It's a survival tactic. That was the take that I took. That was one of the things that I did. It was it was therapeutic. And I ended up meeting a ton of amazing people by getting it out there into the world. So, you know, it worked for me. Art therapy isn't necessarily a, a course of action that will resonate with everybody. The lack of rules, except for the one that I made for myself about it not being a diary entry, I think the lack of rules is something that's really helpful in terms of where do you want to go with this? I don't know. Where do you want to go with this? Oh, okay, I'm the driver. Well, all right. I got blue paint on my hand and I'm just going to smear it to the left, you know? Yeah. Great. Cause there's no fail or pass. There's no good or bad. You're just in this world of creating stuff. And I think that's a, a great way to unlock anything. You know, if you start making these Francis Bacon paintings of headless popes and like, you know, whatever skinless nightmares, great right on. It's you're exercising a demon, you know, good. Keep on doing it. You know, we talk a lot about violent video games and, and in my, uh, in my line of work. And there's this, there's this graph where it's like, ever since violent video games were introduced, violent crime has gone down and down and down and down. And correlation, like correlation is not causation, right? Like nobody's saying anything for sure about that, but there's this idea that you're getting your aggression out in the video game so that it doesn't pollute your actual life. Art teachers will talk about heavy metal fans where somebody walks in looking like Nikki Six with 22 earrings and 
eye makeup and stuff and or they just look rough or they got like just nothing but jean jackets and metallica patches all over their clothes and (laughs) you're like oh this person's gonna start tipping over desks and punching out windows but they're not like that they're remarkably calm and focused and they really are there to learn and you're like what's happening here and it's like because they go to metal shows right they lose their minds on the weekend uh and then during the week they've got their sillies out you know they've got all their 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 all this energy they they've got a they've got a release for it and a lot of people don't and it's the button down people if the guy who's the the rock the dependable nice person is like all right fucking listen up you know like <laughs> then you're like oh no right you know oh no yes <laughs> right this it's gotten to this point and that's so you gotta you gotta in some way find a way to make yourself you know not be that person you know you you don't want to explode one day or what's it uh take a break because your body's going to force you to take a break right yeah oh my gosh you brought up so many things that are just popping in my brain one of them is that the simple example of that to me is like why am i holding in crying like oh i'm trying to maintain and then when i let it out and man the other day i let out crying that lasted at least a half hour, if not more. Wow. And I was on the phone with my mom. Something was coming up that I didn't even realize was an issue for me. You know, it was one of those mm-hmm. like, la, 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 checking in with my mom, <laughs> yeah. having a phone call. Whoa, and then what's happening? Sudden, yeah. This happened and that And I remember like opening up my chest and like pulling my hands back and like going, what ha- would happen? I moved the phone away a little bit. So I wasn't, you know, directly crying right in her ear. What would happen if I just let all of this out? You know, it was like mourning those tears and that release that happens when you mourn. Mm -hmm. I always remember the first example I saw of that was in that film, Fanny and Alexander. Mm -hmm. Early in that film, one of the key beloved characters dies and his wife is just letting it out on this deep guttural level. And And at the time, I was just like, this needs to happen. And it was so <laughs> cathartic. It felt so good. And and then Brian even like walked by me because he, he was up and about at that point. I had started while he was still sleeping. And he put a little note on his phone and he showed me that said, keep going. You know, and I was like, yes. Oh, nice. And it's just like, awesome. awesome. But, but yeah, like letting yourself feel in a safe space, whether it's bringing you to that Francis Bacon art or whatever's going to happen. It only takes us closer to our creative gifts that are singular and unique to us. Um, It lets us be something fully unique that only we can express. And it helps us deal with our pains and our traumas and our mourning experience. One of my favorite words is adventure. Like I always say, like, I want to live a life of adventure. And for me, that doesn't mean like skydiving or climbing Mount Everest or whatever, but it means that I take on things that scare me. I try to reframe them as adventurous. What's going to happen? I do not know. And that, that mental choice to say, if I don't know, that means I get to find out over, I don't know. So that scares me can be really useful as well. Oh, for sure. 
right? You just got to make the decision to jump out of the plane, right? And then, um, you know, metaphorically speaking or whatever, whether it's like, I got to hand in my notice, you know, and I don't know what's going to come next, you know, or I don't know if I can be in this relationship anymore, but I know that it's got to end and I don't know what's next, you know, or I'm going to start this project and I don't know what's got to happen. There's that, they call it, I don't know, beginner's mind, child's mind or something like that, where you, you know, you have to be, I, I really like the way that you put it there. I get to find out, I get to find out what's going to happen. That's the, that's the cool part is I don't know where I'm going to land, but man, you know, future me is going to know. And I can't wait to meet that person to look at it with eagerness rather than trepidation or a combination of the two, even as uh, that's the best way to go into these things for sure. Well, on that note, let's wrap up today's episode. And I'm going to tease to everyone that Duncan has agreed to come back. Will it be one more time? Will it be 10 more times? Will he be a, become a co-host of Vibrant Missionaries? Will he drop dead tomorrow and we'll never hear from him again? <laughs> we don't know. That's the adventure, right? <laughs> I'm so excited to you know share more conversations with you. Where can people find you and any of your projects that you're up to right now? Well, I don't know. If you go to uh, 365 Tomorrows and look for Duncan Shields, you can find all my pieces that are up there. If you go on YouTube and put in uh, Duncan Shields Vancouver Poetry Slam, you'll get hundreds and hundreds of poems that I recorded for there. Uh, if you go to buyduncanshields.com, it'll take you to a bunch of places where you can buy the ebook that I put out. And if you want to you know, get in touch with me directly, I can send you a physical copy. How about podcasts? Trotologicallyspeaking.com. You can see the movie by minute experience of Trotologically Speaking, where I took on solo. I took on uh, doing the minute by minute breakdown of, uh, of Tron with a cavalcade of amazing guests. And we looked at this incredible film. At the time of this recording, we are a few minutes into broadcasting the Time Bandits Minute, which I'm doing with Curtis Blaze, where we're taking on the, the amazing. 1981 Terry Gilliam film Time Bandits. So those are two podcasts to definitely check out if you want to hear more of me talking about movies. There's a lot of places. I keep trying to find a way to collate them all. I'll uh, have that all in the show notes. And well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. All right. Cheers. Cheers. It was such a pleasure to have Duncan on to talk about his creative process birthed by the grief that he was experiencing after his father's death. I could really relate to this a lot. I've had a lot of death in my family and close, close friends. It really changes your perspective. I feel like it helped me deepen my compassion towards others and connect with people on the soul level after knowing what it was like to lose my very best friend and very close family members as well. So I think this is definitely a topic that is rich for us to explore more. And I'm happy to do that. In fact, you can join me on Patreon and join our Discord. You can support the show that way, but also you'll be joining a community of compassionate creatives. That's where we can really get into these deeper conversations, if you like. Next up, my friend 
Anton Barbeau. He's an incredibly prolific musician, and we get into some fantastic conversations. And I've got a bunch of women coming up too, so never fear. Lots of females representing on the podcast coming up as well. All right, this has been Heidi Bennett and Vibrant Visionaries. Ciao for now.